Hey guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you as always by the Mind Refinery. I'm Kyle Bodanis. This week on the show, we're talking about the 20th anniversary of two important albums, White Blood Cells by the White Stripes and Oh, Inverted World by the Shins. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have time, follow the Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, guys, here today to talk about the 20th anniversary of two really important albums, White Blood Cells by the White Stripes and Oh, Inverted World by the Shins, is Rhythm Section co-host Coburn Blair. Coburn, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Well, I'm uh, back in the hosting chair just for, uh, you know, for this. Uh, I feel I feel good. I feel nervous. I feel pressured because uh, you've been killing it. So uh, we're going to try to make this shit happen. I mean, I have faith in you. I don't know if anyone else does, but I, I do. I can assure you no one has faith in me. 2001 was a banner year across the board in music. Rock music specifically had a host of impactful records, including the two we're talking about today. Let's talk a little bit about the musical landscape of that time. What was the musical landscape like in 2001? That is a good question because I feel like 2001, you know, to me is a very pop focused year where I think, you know, I guess pop music is always kind of dominant, but I feel like that was at its height, you know, in terms of what we were getting in the mainstream, uh, what we were being, you know, spoon fed, uh, what was on, you know, the MTVs. RIP, much music, RIP, you know, everything. Uh, there was no streaming yet. You know, CDs were still being sold. Internet kind of didn't have the culture it does today. I think it's a really interesting time period for music because there were still the kind of control systems of the past, but it wasn't quite what, you know, all the way uh, as good as it was when, you know, the record labels kind of controlled everything. I mean, yeah, I definitely think it was kind of a weird, almost transitionary year because like Napster is happening and, you know, it's the blowback from that is happening. And I mean, like 2001 was part of this indie rock revival with bands like The Strokes and The Hives and uh, Broken Social Scene. And around this time, you start seeing the, the same kind of thing happening across the pond. It'll just be like a year or two away with like Block Party and the Libertines. You know, in in hindsight, for me, this was kind of the death rattle for the dominance of guitar-based music in the pop world, because it hasn't really attained the same height since. It's definitely it definitely hasn't in our local indie scene, because like the early two thousands was like a watershed moment for the local Toronto indie scene, especially like when uh, Broken Social Scene drops. You forgot it. You forget it. Forgot it in people, and it's I think that was just like two years after this. You know, Constantine's uh, bands like that, so, and you know this era was kind of the starting of it. Um, the Strokes album this is it is probably the most influential album for this time uh it opened bands for you know it would open doors for bands of a similar sound in the u.s and like again be band uh, be a catalyst for bands like the arctic monkeys um what i love about it is it interrupted this like new metal onslaught that was happening like between 99 and like 2002 and you know, I think the White Stripes who we're going to talk about with White Blood Cells is ultimately the band with the biggest legacy coming out of this. I think This Is It by The Strokes is going to remain an influential album, but like they haven't been able to, you know, kind of hit the same heights since. But The White Stripes were able to go right into the stratosphere and become the biggest band in the world at one point. So, yeah, I, I, it's, it's an interesting time, especially for when our first album that we're going to talk about uh, comes out, White Blood Cells. So, in talking about that, where were the White Stripes and the Detroit Garage Rock scene like going into 
like white blood cells like how was it what was its mode so i think like you know kind of that scene and that sound it i think there's something special to kind of what was going on there at the time you know with what we were hearing you know it was i feel like the white tribes kind of gave us a return to a rock that hadn't really existed i think like you said earlier you know talking about the kind of new metal you know this is extremely like pop punk was super popular but this was a really stripped down and kind of raw and distilled rock sound it really feels like american rock you know kind of what it should be yeah this is what american this is what american rock is because i mean like when english bands took american blues you know from the delta in chicago they turned it into something else. They expanded it. They made it a lot more uh, progressive sounding. Uh, I wouldn't call it prog, obviously, but in terms of like extended so- song structures, you know, the, adding the idea of the epic song um, to it. But like there was this garage rock scene that was happening in Detroit that would ultimately influence this garage rock revival. And, you know, and it was that was happening all around the country. So the White Stripes were joined by bands like the Von Bondies you know, and Bantam Roosters and who I both, I would check out if you haven't heard them, you know, and also associated actually with the white stripes, like the Greenhorns. I believe actually the bass player for Greenhorns went on to play in the Racon tours, but you know, the white stripes kind of led the pack and their first two albums, the self-titled one and distilled were really, really fucking good. And if you, and if you listen to the first one self-titled, it is raw as fuck. And like, this is the American brand of rock music, like put out by the Stooges, you know, like it, the beginnings of punk, and it's stripped down it's like fucking four chords and it is just you know balls to the walls but still very rooted in pop like when it's kind of when you kind of unfurl it and pull back the layers and uh if you haven't checked those two albums out uh self-titled d still i would absolutely recommend them they are the band at their absolute rawest but also this is kind of a cool moment for detroit at the time too because like detroit has always invented and reinvented itself as one of the hubs of american music where if you're looking for what is american music you can look at detroit as like from a historical standpoint whether it's you know motown hip-hop garage rock in the 60s the revival that we're talking about right now it's it's always been kind of a special place with very interesting socioeconomic conditions that have contributed to this music. And there is a commonality in the music, whether it's black artists or white artists too, that you hear just in terms of like the effect of like the auto industry leaving and, you know, Detroit going on, you know, on the bad side of, of prominence and all these things. So like, it's, it's this again, frames it as a really fucking special place. Yeah. And I think, I think you can't really contest any of that because I think, all those kind of factors are what make Detroit ripe for creation in the way that, you know, it, it, it has, right? Like it, this is why these, this, these things can come out of Detroit. This is why Detroit has, you know, its reputation, its sound and so many great legacy acts. So I think, you know, the white stripes kind of blowing the doors off in the way that they did in, in like 2001, I would call it for for me more like two thousand two because of I the mainstream release, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think I got to the White Stripes or to anything till you know we had the the, the re release there. Mm-hmm. But I think they were shining a light, you know, on a different side of music. Like you said, there's you know pop elements in it. I don't know if I would call it like 
I would say like they were almost influencing pop more or like, you know, what influenced pop more was their, their same influences. So I think, yes, there's pop leaning here, but the album is, it's just really well thought out. It is just like, I think, I don't know. I want to say like the rawness of it, the composition, you know, Jack White writing the whole thing, um, taking pieces from his earlier work. You know, he's boring from Two Star Tabernacle. He's, you know, rejigging things to fit. I think there's something really special about that creation. It's funny. The uh, I think it's uh, Dan John Miller. I'm trying to remember the other key member of uh, of Tabernacle, and because uh, he directed, I'm pretty sure the video for Hotel Yorba, which they then recorded. Which we're gonna get into the videos, but then they recorded. Um, uh, we're going to be friends as well. They just did that in one take, and it was him who fucking directed it. I'm pretty sure, if I remember off the top of my head. So when did you hear this album first? Like, what were your initial reactions? So I think I definitely caught, I was one of the ones who caught this album on the 2002 release as opposed to the initial release. I, just, I knew it was something special. Um, I think for me, I'll always tie We Are Going to Be Friends to Napoleon Dynamite in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Because it was used for the opening credits and it was just like, you know, a phenomenal song usage. But like I think this album was like an album that like you know we put on with friends in a basement you know because this was like our first time hearing music like this and I think that's where the album kind of stands for me to this day. I mean the first thing that tipped me off about this album was the "Fell in Love with a Girl" video. I think I saw it on MTV Two, so I think it was two thousand two as well. I had heard a couple tracks. I had a friend who was super just like keyed into this shit, but uh, it was two thousand two. When I saw the fell in love with the girl video, which we're going to talk about uh, from there, I went and got the album and pretty much I listened to it like fucking crazy. And it was good to hear that music because I was really into guitar and played constantly and was getting too far down the like Randy Rhodes neoclassical rabbit hole. Not that I was anywhere near able to fucking play all that shit uh, pouring out for my homie Randy Rhodes. You know, I enjoyed that stuff because it was flashy and it kind of but this kind of pulled me back to basics and pushed the revival of punk at the forefront of my musical taste because that's what I was really kind of buoying what I was listening to uh, punk in Seattle, like really kind of for most of my life leading into into my like uh, 16, 17 year old era uh these songs were super loose sounding and the drumming was like so to the point simplistic it just slapped and it gave the music a really primal sound that i like you could connect with really easily and um like when you wanted to jam out to these songs like like jamming out to these songs is a ton are like is a ton of fun and it didn't take a whole bunch of talent to play it but they were about like feeling and mood and energy and uh music has always kind of music like that has kind of always won out over virtuosity right because it's about that fucking energy and what it's saying and what is it saying about your youth and how's it making you feel in your youth the kind of the big thing i kind of realized right away is how good the songwriting was that the album is definitely jack white's coming out party in terms of being a writer who fucking gets it he doesn't get in the way of himself with grand statements he goes right for the jugular singing about like love fucking the civil war and like just like growing up and family and and that kind of thing and and i i think that's like what's so memorable about it i think you know this it kind of takes me back to like how important music magazines were back then yeah, too. Cause I think 100%. that's something that I hadn't really considered. Like I remember reading about this album in a magazine and that's what, you know, kind of turned me on to it. So like, you know, and like publications really got it at that time. And like, you know, that's, it was like the pre 
internet community kind of thing where you're like, okay, this is who's telling me to listen to this album. I'm going to go get this album. And I kind of miss that in terms of like the indie scene and for alternative rock. I fucking really miss that. Like I was subscribing to at the time. My mom was like, you're insane. I was like, because I was working at Jack Astor, so I had a little bit of cash. I was subscribing to Rolling Stone, so I knew what the old guard was saying. I was Spin was my favorite at the time, but like Enemy, and then also like the fucking $90, like $120 per year subscription to Q Magazine. And I was just like, like I had in my room, I had stacks of music magazines like all the time. And like parting with them was like, difficult when I, when I did the mass throw out because like I have a like my bookshelves completely ran with fucking books like half of them on music but like I had an equal amount of just like fucking magazines and I miss that like where you're reading it and like you really know the journalists because like I still know the journalists now but I'm not as connected to them as I was then as I because I was just like consuming on a so much of a regular basis with it and then also like Listen, you get in, you may, you get in here. There's a lot of, there's like right now, there's a lot of choice. You're searching the internet, you're finding what you like. But like when you subscribe to a music magazine and it comes, if it's an artist you don't know, you're like, am I going to throw this magazine out for the month? No, I'm going to learn about the artist. And uh, it was just this age of discovery that for me was a really kind of special moment and kind of like cemented my music nerddom and, you know, it was really good. I want to talk about standout tracks, though. Uh, what were some of the standout tracks for you? Uh, so I think for me, uh, obviously, We Are Going to Be Friends is one of my favorite uh, tracks on this. I also really like Hotel Yorba. And I like some of the stuff to the end. I think I like, um, sorry, I think I think I Smell a Rat um, also <laughs> is one of my favorite songs on this. Sorry, that was hard to get out. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's the songwriting on this album I really like Jack White's text textures. I really like where he goes with the stuff. There's just a, a crispness about this album and a crispness that comes through uh, Jack's writing and through the guitar work on here. Yeah. There's no bullshit with it. I mean, fell in love with the girl is the banger in the album. And, uh, but like the first four tracks and like, as you can tell moving on and on, I'm like a stickler for how an album opens for me. It's always my favorite. My favorite songs in shows are always like when they come out because there's like an initial energy and fever pitch and like it hits the anticipation that I really kind of enjoy with it. So, you know, dead leaves in the dirty ground. I fucking loved hotel Yorba. And my favorite on the whole album is I'm finding it harder to be a gentleman. Like, so, but like those four tracks and then fucking fell in love with the girl after I'm finding it hard to be a gentleman. Fucking awesome. They just come out of the gate. So good. And the songs are fucking awesome. And they're slappers. And you're just like, I listen to these songs to this fucking day. And it gives me the same kind of, feeling and the same kind of intensity and i really enjoy it but then there's other stuff as you get later into the album like i think i smell a rat um aluminum i can't wait now mary even like the banging piano on the this protector which is like the meg white thing kind of um like i love that he's clearly using like an old sounding piano like one of those older sounding stand-up pianos and it's just banging away on it and there's like the imperfections in it and the resonance and there's just so many things that I enjoy about it. I kind of just let it, the whole thing play. So I think I saw on Twitter the other day someone was talking about the White Chokes version of Jolene and when I was doing some research for this album, I saw that that was included in the Japanese version of the of the album. Have you heard their cover of Jolene? Yeah, I love it. 
it's fucking it's actually think, one of my favorite covers to be honest with you yeah i think like a lot of people are say, like have said that so i think that's a really interesting cover i didn't realize it was like you know done at the same time as this album and it's a live um, show staple as well like they play it like both shows i saw of them they played it and it was just really fucking cool because he kind of embraces in his vocals just like the idea of the track like it's a whale and it's like this like begging of like don't like don't take this person i love from me and he kind of embodies that in that cover and when they perform it live so it's just like really chilling when you when you see it so do you think that warner brothers really considered suing over the song union forever because every single lyric in that is a quote from um citizen kane which is jack white's favorite movie well i feel like that's bad press for them if they're doing it because stuff is taken from lyrics stuff is taken from stuff all the time i don't believe it did that actually happen like is there a confirmation there was i've never heard confirmation on it but there was always like rumors and i think like you know back then when the internet wasn't as like solid now i feel like rumors floated around for a lot longer so i've never heard any confirmation on it but i feel like it's something i've read you know yeah back in the day when your parents when you were like yeah i read this on the internet and your parents were like that's bullshit and uh no yeah no no it's uh and now nowadays your parents are reading things on the internet and you're like no that's no 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 that's bullshit (laughs) vaccines actually don't make your penis fall off um like like let's be serious here you will not get an eye twitch from fucking this vaccine what were your thoughts on the videos the fell in love with the girl video was a major boost them getting a larger audience like it was a really cool like the michelle gondry video was really cool for it yeah i like i was gonna ask you about that too because i feel like would you know like you were talking about watching it on uh MTV2 back in the day do you think that you know videos had a larger impact on getting artists out there than they do now or do you think that like you know the right video could could do it in this day and age I think the right video can do it in this day and age too but I think it's not just the song now because I think back in the day like before streaming services you like more of your exposure to new music was coming from like new music sonically was coming from what was going on, whether it was much music or MTV, MTV two, whatever, right? Like there's a whole generation of Canadian artists that I listened to because of rap city and, uh, you know, coast to coast, like, you know, on, uh, on much music. So I think it's, it's kind of different. Like now it's like, what's that little John video is where I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, where it's like, they're, it's crazy and it's the two people fighting and they're jumping through the ceiling and shit trying to remember yeah i think that's the one it is but like so like now it's like you see the videos and they're cool right like i like i remember like the like the um, uh this two shall pass the uh the okay go video where it's like the rube goldberg machine stuff i wasn't like this has turned me on to okay go i was like this video is dope and i want to see more rube goldberg machine videos if that makes sense (laughs) Yeah, I think now too with like YouTube, it's like if you want to go see a uh, Rube Goldberg video, so you can just click a link yeah. and you can probably hear it with like you know whatever like little pump playing in the background or something. You know, it's not like as tied as it was back then. Yeah, but I think with 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 this video, the fell in love with a girl video, like you said, it was a, an era when you know a video was your introduction to an artist. And I think that, you know, if you were smart about what you did with videos, they could break you um, in new ways. And, yeah, I think it is really interesting that videos were, you know, the first four way for a lot of artists. And, like, you know, OK Go came to my head 
like like it did yours for like you know crafting videos that got people talking but i wasn't like these are landmark records like you know what yeah. i mean like that's that's what it wasn't like now if i want to go sample an album i can you know what i mean and that's yeah. this is one reason why i wasn't totally against napster and felt bad because like i use napster to buy to figure out which albums i wanted to buy so like my album buying actually increased when napster came out because i like was like oh this album is cool i totally want to buy it now rather than it's junk so like the internet for me like is more it has like been the rabbit hole of self of musical discovery when it used to be music videos yeah and i think that's an that's an interesting change you know looking back at these two albums that are you know 20 20 plus or 20 years old on the dot it's mm-hmm. how did we shift things and you know the more things change also the more they stay the same in terms of like napster is not that much different than spotify and they were completely against it yeah. and they're and and they're not equally fucking over the artist they are but in different you know what i mean like different ways yeah i mean like what were your like so did you did you like both of the michelle gondry videos on this like were you i did yeah i did i, I remember these were videos that like you know like there was different aspect of vir- virality at the time mm-hmm. um in terms of like these videos. So I think that like, you know, bringing on an Artur to get videos done mattered more at this time. And I think this is, it just, there's more to talk about. I think in this era of, of music videos than, than there is now. I think it's because you have celebrity, like I'm not saying you don't have celebrity music video directors now because you have like, x and you know what i mean and you have you know these people especially coming from hip-hop but back then you had michelle gondry chris cunningham fucking uh hype spike jones Jones, hype williams you know what i mean like these guys when they put out a video it was almost like they were releasing a film and you had to see it you know um and michelle gondry put in work on this album like we fell in love with the girl and dead leaves in the dirty ground fell in love with the girl like the whole lego thing and uh is really kind of thing was so cool that was so cool it was fucking really fucking cool and then um his video for dead leaves in the dirty ground where it's like jack is white is returning to this home in london that's all like destroyed but there's like projections of scenes of his relationship on the wall and like it was just like really fucking cool and like even the video for hotel yorba is like really nice and sweet um as i said i believe it was directed by i believe his name is dan john miller from uh tabernacle two tabernacle so like that's the thing is like it doesn't like these videos produced celebrity directors who would eventually go on to direct like feature films which actually worked out for x too like it was an example it's just they're becoming fewer and far between because now like that shooting is a lot more like democratized and there is like release methods that are easier like everybody can shoot a music video i mean that's how the mine refinery started it's how i started in in the film business was just like shooting music videos because you can yeah and i think with the you know the the democratization of it it's changed the way that kind of music is is thought of and listened to and like i think that like you know if you can do something really good with a really small budget because i think that's you know also changed now where it's like artists have a lot smaller budgets to work with for music videos for the most part so i think you know we're getting more special directors kind of popping up because they're doing a lot with with a lot less no absolutely you have to like the the budgets have i mean they contracted for a period of time i feel like now they're trying to they're expanding a little bit more 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, like, how did this White Stripes album influence pop music? Like, how did it, like, how, like, how did it change the way we looked at it? Because, I mean, it's there's definitely a post White Stripes move in in it. So, I think, like, for me, this album at the time felt like a return to a prior era of rock that, like, I'm like I know existed, but also maybe is a little bit of a fantasy. Like, the stripped-down sound and, like, the kind of bluesy notes and influences in it, it felt like a, it was almost like an, a purposeful affront to the kind of gleamy pop that, you know, was also of the era, you know, at the, the turn of the century there, mm-hmm. um, like the Y2K kind of stuff. So I think, you know, like, it just reminds me of, like, the post-White Stripes era just reminds me of like all the kind of television shows that would use music to kind of like add to the show or like you know like the OC and all these other shows that had bands on or or used music I feel like kind of owe a lot to the White Stripes. Oh, absolutely. If that makes I mean, sense. Yeah. No, no, it totally makes sense because like for the OC it's like Phantom Planet. Yeah. And the Phantom Planet makes their worst song on that show, um, which is, I mean, yeah, the whole thing was like, how can we, you know, how can we tie in this band who's also on the label, which is owned by the company that owns the show as well? You know what I mean? Like they was definitely used as the, you know, the cross marketing thing and it continues to this day. Um, I mean, if anything, Jack White is a minimalist and a classicist. And despite the often rugged nature of his music, like I will hold that it has it's poppy because the music it comes from is poppy. Like if you look at garage rock in the sixties, like it comes from like surf music, you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. And like, as it's influence. And like, if you, especially when you wade through the feedback and the vintage sound, you hear this. So, you know, you heard what they were doing in bands like the black keys, whom white at one point had a beef with, which was completely of his creation and dudes like Kurt vile and eventually English bands like the Arctic monkeys and a host of other bands that kind of would like strip it all down and just, you know, first chorus, the very simplistic songwriting styles and a way as as i was saying like this is a thinly veiled return to rock music that has its roots in pop as opposed to like all the new metal shit that was happening because because it just bloated it and didn't like sometimes being basic is good it doesn't necessarily it's not a pejorative it's you know a, a way of stripping down things and and getting rid of the complications and uh i mean jack white would eventually go on to start third man records and produce for like loretta lynn and like even like collaborate with beyonce like he did that song on uh on lemonade and it was really good yeah yeah i mean like i can't believe this this album was recorded like as fast and hastily as it was for its lasting impact right like didn't they record it in something like a week or or two weeks or something like that yeah this is recorded in like two weeks i'm pretty sure they just used nothing more than like an eight track recorder it may even been a four track recorder i mean like when he first started like he was big into 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 vintage recording techniques and stuff like that to the point where he parodied himself on portlandia but yeah like it's 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 amazing how you work but like that's what it was back then right or it still is now where it's like we have a finite amount of money and we got to go in and we just got to blast this thing out and like your band went in prepared for the studio experience. Uh, yeah. So I think that that kind of, you know, isn't really as encouraged anymore. And I think that has kind of shifted music uh, for that reason. And I think that people like Jack White, who are kind of more purist, it adds something to the music and to the way 
that it comes out and i think that like feeds into you know what has made his music stand the test of time yeah and one thing i would say definitely is is that like the do it yourself stripped down ethos that the white stripes and a lot of these other bands had hip hop has really adopted like hip hop now they're like i have i have the ability to record in my basement so i'm going to do it i'm just going to make a mixtape and it's interesting that it 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 was like this idea was picked up from that side rather than the rock music contemporaries or more so like the ones in the future like because not many people really kind of maintain this i mean like you're looking at bands like war on drugs and shit who are embracing that kind of thing in their early albums but it's still you know it's 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 a relic of a bygone era almost uh, especially on the rock front but like how did this lay the groundwork for their follow-up elephant which is ultimately their fucking like their opus so I think, you know, this perfectly kind of set up Elephant. I think, you know, Elephant coming in 2003, but it really came on the heels of this album in a different way because of the re-release and the structure of, you know, blowing um, blowing them up a year before. So I think that they took a lot of the elements that made up white blood cells and they kind of improved upon them. They attacked it with the same kind of ethos of you know not too much perfection um and then obviously you know having like the massive hits on it that it did like seven nation army opening like doesn't really hurt you too much definitely not um so yeah i think they were kind of like just kind of ready to go out the gate like they just had it kind of down pat in my in my opinion yeah i mean if you listen to d the self-titled and d still like they're super pretty rugged records especially the self-titled i think with d still they start moving more into it starts to explore delta blues and country ideas in earnest but like white blood cells is a fully formed idea that is moving to a little bit more finish on the songs but still maintaining like that rugged situation but definitely it's made for a wider audience and you know it represents the best songwriting of jack jack white's career to that point you know what i mean and i think white blood cells sets the stage for that larger expression that is elephant which is a blockbuster album that and like you feel it when a band is ready to do that and they keep improving 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 and leading up to you know their you know their opus and i thought that they did it well and they ultimately changed music uh with elephant so like it's it's pretty crazy how they were able to do it like it almost feels like there is a very concerted song path uh to do it although i don't know if that's the case but you know because after elephant what they do is they start it's more about experimentation and making different types of sounding albums because like get behind me satan and icky thump are like much different than their predecessors in my opinion they start going out experimenting with different instruments and different instrumentation and what that looks like and even more doubling down all their different uh you know their different tangents and different things that they were listening to um and then in like even in the detroit scene you start seeing the effect of like an album like elephant coming out with song like um different bands coming out like blanche which is connected to you know white you know jack white is is close with and you know just the effect on it from a local scene and then just like in in taking the next step in pop music sorry uh in rock music was just very apparent and it's it's really cool 
but um like to kind of finish up this part where does this sit in their career in your opinion so i think you know uh elephants kind of 1a this album sits at kind of 1b for me in their discography they're definitely my two favorite projects by the white stripes and i think they just kind of cohesively click for me and have a place in, in my like head in my heart and you know in the time yeah i mean i think the entire music world will tell you it's their second best album and i think that's totally fair elephant was a phenomenon and it, when it dropped you know the white stripes became the biggest band in the world and one for the ages and that's the type of album people listen to when you're gone but like my favorite is white blood cells the album meant so much to me at the time and although i'm a massive fan of the white stripes and jack white um you know i just uh this and, and what they did when they moved when they moved on this one just uh continued to loom large for me i've seen the stripes twice rack on tours three times jack white solo once in the dead weather twice and um this is the one i can't stop listening to and uh elephant too I, I listen to all of them but like this one is just it goes straight to the veins uh for me and 20 years later i'm still listening to it so it's absolutely fucking fantastic on that note though we do have to leave the white stripes and move to our next uh the album that we're going to talk about enjoying its uh 20th anniversary uh one of the other important records from this moment uh oh inverted world by the shins frontman and principal songwriter james mercer had this to say about the album and what it meant to his career the record gave me the life i never really dreamed i would have it opened me up to the whole world and gave me validation it's also something that stands as a bit of a pinnacle for our band you release that first record and it's so well embraced but you're always trying to get back that magic i think we've done well certainly but the fervor that happened around o inverted world we never really quite reached again it's a special moment when you're a new band and you got what's apparently a kind of a new sound this record symbolized a very special moment in my life a watershed moment for sure where did this album fit in the music of the time how did it contrast with the other bands popping off at the time like the strokes and the white stripes and the hives so i think like you know this album for me kind of fits in with those you know previous bands mentioned but there's a certain left field kind of element i don't know if it's because they were coming from what like was it like new mexico or something like that it was just like a different kind of look at the world it felt like to me um there's almost like an innocent quality to it feels like a feeling of yearning that you know isn't as present in some of those other bands at least to me yeah this album is probably one of my favorite albums of 2001 for some of those reasons and yeah i don't know they just this struck a, a chord it felt different no i think that's completely fair because there's an earnestness in this music that those other bands don't have especially like the strokes if you look at the strokes as like one of the like the, the and that and you know is this it coming out like they're not earnest at all the strokes right like they're like smoking cigarettes and blasting paps blue ribbon and talking about you know fucked up situations that happened happened to them in the lower east side all this kind of shit and you know and them and the other bevy of like the bands that led to you know the mainstream rock minimalist situation you know that took the world by storm like they're a lot different subject matter wise than the shins and the shins create like one of the blueprints one of the newer blueprints because like obviously bands like modest mouse who 
heavily influenced the shins like they're you know one of the the indie rock stalwarts you go back to dinosaur jr and stuff like that but the shin creates like a modern view of indie rock that is created and that bands kind of go on from there to try to copy because you know the music was able to hit such a fucking tone with people yeah and i think you know like they like the shins were touring with modest mouths they were kind of like you know in line with them they kind of came out of the same scene um somewhat there you know i think even going back to sub pop you know to get into the label like a bit i know we'll get kind of deeper into that but i think that like anyone who heard this at the time knew it was something special and knew that there was something that made it stand out and it was unique even with So when did you genre. first hear it? Like what were your first thoughts? I probably don't I think I probably didn't hear this album in full till like 2006 just because of how old I was at the time and because of you know how I was consuming music, but I remember reading reviews for it in Chart Mag or one of the many music mags that, you know, I would get so I think that like this album for me, when I first heard it the first time, like it just it really takes me back to a younger version of myself. It really, you know, reminds me of high school or, or middle school. And it, yeah, like I think I think you said like earlier, just the earnestness on this album. It just has a special quality yeah i really didn't hear this album until like a couple years after it came out because i was so on the white stripes tip that was you know and i was into things that were a little bit more aggressive at the time and you know i was also like totally immersed into hip-hop so i wasn't really hunting for it then i feel like a girl i liked told me about it and then all of a sudden i just decided to devour it like crazy for obvious reasons i didn't really react to it emotionally until later on when i was reading about james mercer and his road to his career in music and in an interview he was talking about how he dropped everything and moved um you know he moved north i believe it was he ended up moving to like olympia another based out of portland i think it was portland he may have moved to then i didn't know if he went directly there because sub pop is based in seattle uh you know and he left a re- relationship behind he quit his job and his friends he went to a new city in the hope that this thing was going to happen and in my life a lot of the same thing was happening Minus the meteoric rise, uh, it was more of a drudging warlike attrition for me. <laughs> I kind of like really identified with that, and it became more than a collection of good music. And I started listening to that, and I think in tandem with Wincing the Night Away as well, which is another album I fucking really love by them. Yeah, do you think like does this album stand out for you um, the most within their catalog? Yes, I think this and Wincing the Night Away are the best, but I think this is much better. Yeah, I think I think I think I'd agree with you there. I think not that like, you know, I feel like this is kind of like bottled lightning in in some aspects, in some regards, like they captured everything that they, you know, were about and everything that they would become in and they bottled it in this album. Yeah, like it's you have your whole life to make your first album. You know what I mean? Like it's you you get it, it just came together for them and they've released good music since. And but like it, it it happens, right? Like it happens. Um, what were some of the standout tracks for you? Uh, Caring is creepy. Love that song. Um, and then I think I go right to New Slang, and I think that you know kind of sounds like you know easy. Um, obviously, like it's a huge hit, but it's it's really really good. And you know sometimes everyone's it's good. Right. Yeah. No, no, absolutely, it's really good. Um, for me, I loved New Slang. Um, know your onion, I loved as well. Caring is creepy. Honestly, my favorite's the closer, uh, past and pending. It's really fucking good. And it's a song I used to listen to over and over again because 
it's very much about James Mercer coming out of a relationship, changing his entire life, not knowing what the fuck is going on, like the sorrow that came from that. And I just like kind of really identified that in my life. It was just like a really intense song for me. Yeah. 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 I think, I think you're right on that one too. I think the closer is really good. This, this album is just, it's the perfect, it's just like a perfect album to me. It's like up there with albums. I think are like just front to back really, really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, like it injected life into sub pop. I think people kind of underestimate how on the rope sub pop was at the time. Yeah, I think, you know, just kind of, you know, sub pop being that Seattle band, sorry, the Seattle brand for a long time being, you know, grunge, like headquarters, and then trying to expand and, you know, setting up offices everywhere, you know, they got the cash infusion um, and ownership from Warner. And I don't think they really found their way back until they kind of like made everything small again and shrunk their operation and moved back to Seattle. And then I think the shins kind of give them that edge again. And they've kind of managed at that point to get back to what they were about, you know, in the early years of, of grunge, even though, you know, the shins obviously aren't grunge, but there's something special that kind of reminds me of, you know, the Soundgarden and, and the Nirvana days here. I think the the issue with with Sub Pop is like the business model to a point wasn't sustainable, especially when they went through this period of time. And um, they didn't know how to reinvent themselves at the time. Like Sub Pop was dwindling. Like there was a massive hangover for its role in the Seattle scene, propelling grudge into the mainstream as acting as one of the most important, you know, underground labels in American history. You know, they signed this partnership deal with Warners. They gave up 49% of the company, which injected this kind of like corporate culture into the label, which split the original partners, Jonathan Poneman and Bruce Pavitt. Two guys I've read so much fucking about because I was like super, like I got to start a record label when I was younger, then realized it was a terrible idea. Uh, you know, because there's this huge seismic shift in the company and Pavitt left in the late 90s and early 2000s were a bit weird for Sub Pop, you know, entered the shins. The record does super well. It kind of reinfigurates them like into a new era. Now the shins are there. You know, they represent like Fleet Foxes, Father John Misty, the Postal Service. They did a couple albums with Sleater Kenny, um, Mets, The Goes, fucking Beach House. Like it just continues. But like people underestimate that sub pop was completely irrelevant at the time and almost kind of represented the death of the alternative mu- alternative music era you know and seattle is a musical I mean, like, powerhouse yeah like i mean like with with sub pop like out of this like six gold albums that, that the the label has like three of them are shins albums one of them being this inverted you know shoots and wincing the night away yeah so like that's carrying the label on your back i'd say to to a to a certain degree and you know they're a marquee or marquee act and they you know carried a lot of weight yeah i i think that people underestimate that and like there was like this is and it kind of is what caused a lot of people to sign with them like moving forward to actually have like a sustainable business model i mean like what's really ironic is that one of the older sub pop ideas they used to have this subscription service for fans where you'd pay a fee and you get new singles every month from like cool bands and this of course dates back to the sub pop compilations that were mailed out to fans like the mythical sub pop 200 which would have like early singles by nirvana and such by the way if anybody has a vinyl copy of sub pop 2000 200 please send it my way i will buy it from you uh but i digress uh because sub pop originally signed the shins to like a one single deal when they were opening for modest mouse they saw them in like calf where did they see them i think it was like san francisco 
and uh, Modest Males is fucking awesome. If you're not listening to them, please listen to them as well. And then they did new slang. They put the album as part of their like seven inch single series. And then it ended up selling really fucking well from the promotion. And, um, you know, they f- fully signed the band and the rest is history. And like they kind of re- helped rebirth this uh, American institution. Like it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's an important piece of American music history. I think, you know, you go from like Bruce um, not talking to the the label co-owner for like six years. Yeah, it was intense. Like, you know, like that whole thing could have fallen apart without the shins, I think, you know, I think that the sub pop, you know, gets looked at a lot differently if it falls apart in 2000 and 2001. Yeah, and I mean, it would have put Warner's in the bad position, too, because, like, Warner's only owned 49% of it, so they can't just yeah. wholesale kind of close it. Like, the thing would just be destined for bankruptcy. Like, that's really was where it was going, because, like, you're trying to have these operations and do A&R and all this kind of stuff, but the label isn't really making money except off its back catalog, which it's now giving almost half of that away to. You know, like it's getting cannibalized by Warner's. It's not necessarily going back into the fucking business. So, like, it's it's a weird time too because like that's that label is really fucking important. It's one of the most. It is one of the most independent, uh, important underground American labels. And I mean, it's credit to the Shins for uh, help helping prop it up. And then from there, it just you know once the postal service and shit started getting into it. Like even though they weren't moving tons and tons of albums, like they were. Like, these bands, they toured relentlessly, and they were able to create something that actually kind of fucking worked out. But New Slang did have another life again uh, with Garden State. Can you think of a song that was more associated with a movie, like, in the last fucking, like, since then? I was really trying hard to yeah. come with something. I feel like I'm scratching my head still. It It is really iconic scene. Uh, It's really... You know, its inclusion in there is like super, super like important to the movie. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Like, I want to reach for like a Jordan Peele inversion song that he did um, with like I got five on it, but I'm not sure that there is one. Yeah, all the ones I could think of off the top of my head ended up from being like 2000. So, like, immediately I thought about Dry the Rain uh, from the beta band that was in High Fidelity because remember, they he's like, I am now going to sell uh, five copies of the three EPs. Uh, by the beta band and then it turned everyone on to what the fucking beta band was i started listening to the beta band they're awesome i still listen to them um but like and then like the other one was like tiny dancer from fucking um uh from almost famous Famous. yeah and but then they i think those are both 2000 so it's like the only other one that kind of kind of like uh, it's but it's my association is ball and biscuit from the beginning of social network in the opening scene which is a white stripes track from um elephant but like, yeah. other than that, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I, I like, I, I can't think of another one. Wasn't that three six mafia song? W- what was on that? Was that on Belly or was that on Hustle and? Oh yeah, uh, Hustle and Flow with uh, yeah, Hustle and Flow, yeah, Lud- yeah, Ludacris and Terrence, uh, Terrence Howard. I yeah. guess yeah, that's kind of up there. What, what about Lose Yourself? Is that like, does that count? The only reason I'm like, does it count? Is because it's like a song, like it's a song from the soundtrack. Like, sorry, yeah. it was like created for the movie. But, like, yeah. yes, if I was to say if there was any competitor, that would be the one. Like, I was going through all these, like, movie and song combos from, two thousand, like, the 2000s list and Lose Yourself and this one were, like, on the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So where There's does this... something I'm missing, in, but I can't... No, this is it. what I'm saying. I'm, like, I'm almost pretty sure. I would, like, if anybody yeah. has some ideas, 
hit us up via uh mind of Fire twitter we definitely want to fucking know let us know so to close this where does this rank in their discography i think we kind of already touched on it yeah so it's it's uh it's in their top two and it's not number two i'll let you know that much um this album is you know pretty flawless uh at least for me yeah i think this is better than shoots it's better than winter in the night away it's their best body of work and yeah just even playing it back now kind of took me back to the first time i heard it and it i kind of had to re-download it and it's going to be in my rotation for probably the next like you know six to eight months so it doesn't sound old it sounds like it something that could come out now like it really does yeah and I, for me it's, it's their best if, if someone else is making this quality music now like let me know who it is so i can get to listening to them yeah the only bands that are really doing that are fucking war on drugs and i need these motherfuckers to you know put out an album this year like that's one of my more like anticipated ones to come out but yeah it doesn't sound dated at all it's uh it's fresh it's good and james mercer is still around i mean like he's worked with danger mouse he was in broken bells broken bells was fucking awesome i love broken bells yeah they're really good and um it's they're a quality band and uh this is their contribution to the ages on that note though uh we're gonna get going uh we're oh no we're not going long but we're going anyways um coburn thank you so much for being here oh thanks for having me all right guys we'll see you later